Our scripture reading today comes from Mark 10, 17-22. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning as we continue our season of Epiphany here at Springbrook and along with tons of other churches all over the world. Uh, Epiphany, it's a season of breakthrough, of light breaking into darkness, of hope into despair. Um, I've been excited about Epiphany because to me it's a season of imagination and creativity and finding a new use for old or familiar things. And so we are spending, as a church, we're spending this season looking at the stories of Jesus, looking at stories that um, may be old, familiar stories to a lot of us, um, but trying to look at them in hopes and belief that the Spirit will offer us new vision and new ways of looking at things that we've looked at loads of times. So today we are going to walk through um, a kind of great story, but also kind of a haunting one. Uh, Aaron just read to us uh, the story of the rich young ruler. Um, It's a story that's found in three out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all included in their stories about Jesus. Um, We read from Mark today, uh, but they all tell the same story. They all begin the same way um, with this guy running up to Jesus. And all of the Gospel writers kind of make it seem like it's a little bit of an interruption. And all of them, Jesus is going somewhere and this guy kind of catches him and and stops him and asks a really curious question. Uh, We don't know a lot about the guy. Uh, This is the only time we see him in the scriptures, but uh, here's what we can know from the little bit that we've read. And um, if if you were to read Matthew and Luke's telling of the story. So here's what we know. We know he's a person of power, a ruler. Luke calls him a religious leader. So it's sort of a double whammy. Uh, He's someone with great political and religious power. Um, It also, uh, we, we can assume that he's over the age of 30 numbers chapter 4 makes a requirement for Jewish priests that they be at least 30 years old. And so um, so we know that, but we also know that that if he's called young, then that means he may be fairly new uh, to this office, fairly new to becoming a religious leader. He um, has great power, but he's maybe fairly new to it. And, And it also puts him about the same age as Jesus, which was like, I didn't, I never thought of it that way. That was something new for me to think of this week. So Mark uh, starts his story with this guy running to Jesus. And I can't help but note the contrast in the two men. If we were doing a character analysis, which um, maybe uh, I'm showing my cards of how much virtual homeschooling I'm doing, lots of character analysis. Um, but uh, if we were to do a character analysis of these two characters, the contrast is kind of striking. Two men uh, close to the same age in very different positions. Uh, One, a man of great power and possession and privilege, 
and the other, a homeless itinerant preacher who, to the best of our knowledge, doesn't own much of anything and yet has far greater power. This, the contrast is striking. Uh, the rich young man, he, he runs up to the poor man and he kneels before him and he asks the most curious question. Uh, a couple of things here. The rich young ruler, he kneels when he catches up to Jesus and he calls him teacher or rabbi. This was a big place of epiphany for me this week as I was reading and studying this story. I've read this story so many times in my life and I've just never thought much about this little moment that happens between them. I guess it just kind of felt like custom, a traditional way. You know, a lot of people come up to Jesus and call him rabbi. Um, But as I was reading and studying and researching for this sermon, here's what struck me. There is no Eastern tradition of a ruler bowing down uh, to a pauper. That, That isn't a thing. The rich, there's, there's no Eastern tradition for the rich bowing down or kneeling before the poor. This man, he has worked his entire life to get to the place of power where he was. For him, in Hebrew culture, that would have meant years and years and years and years of Hebrew school and training. He had checked so many boxes, every single box, in order to become a ruling and religious leader. And yet, when he comes to Jesus, he uses a a, a word of honor. He calls him rabbi. Uh, In my mind, the way I think about it is it's kind of like when I try to convince my mom that I kind of have a PhD because she and I have about the same number of college credit hours. Uh, My mom has all of those letters because she spent uh, those college credit hours working and training and writing and defending a dissertation uh, in order to attain something that only 1% of the population has. And I have 190 college credit hours because I couldn't decide what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I spent a lot of years skipping class and barely squeaking by. Uh, Those are two very different things, a PhD and a lot of college credit hours. Um, And and so I I think that this is probably how the religious leaders would have saw saw Jesus. I'm not trying to say that Jesus um, like failed his way through college or anything like that. What I'm saying is that uh, the religious leaders of his day um, wouldn't have seen Jesus as a rabbi. Uh, He wouldn't have checked all of the boxes that would have been required by them to become a religious leader, to become a religious teacher. The religious teachers of of Jesus' time, they would have seen him as a carpenter, not as a rabbi. They would have seen him as unqualified for the title. Uh, A a lot of the religious leaders, when they came to Jesus, they would call him rabbi, but it, it often comes across as sarcastic, but not here, not in this moment. In this moment, a ruler kneels down and calls Jesus teacher. And I just couldn't help this week but wonder why. Like, why? Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who is a theologian I read often, who has this sweet and very generous heart. and, And he says this. He says that the ruler does these things because in Jesus he saw something which brought him to a consciousness of truth concerning himself and of that superior greatness of goodness which he had seen in Jesus. Essentially, he knelt and cried, Rabbi, because in Jesus he saw something true about himself, and he saw something of the goodness and glory of God. It's interesting to me, in all three tellings of the story, uh, this story uh, is right below or right after uh, the story of Jesus and the little children. 
like right above it in all three different books is Jesus and the little children. The one where the parents get scolded by the disciples because the disciples think that they're letting their kids bother Jesus. Uh, and then we see Jesus in this uh, kind of rare moment of anger and he scolds the disciples for missing the whole point. And then he scoops up the kids and he blesses them and he tells everyone listening that the kingdom of God belongs to people like them, people like the children. And I can't help but wonder if the rich young ruler was there. Like, we don't know. But, but, but I just wonder, I wonder if he was there. Maybe his kids were there. I don't know. Maybe his kids got scooped up. Maybe he was walking by or passed by. I, I, I can't help but wonder if this is the scene uh, that puts an insatiable curiosity in him so much that he ran and caught up to Jesus as he was walking away. Because I bet words like kingdom would have been very interesting to a young ruler. And I bet what Jesus got angry about would have been very confusing to him. And I, and I wonder if he was there, if the relentless tenderness of Jesus for something so weak and powerless like a child would have caught his attention. I bet, like maybe some of you, this guy hadn't seen a lot of tenderness associated uh, with the church. That's a lot of guessing. We don't know if he was there, but maybe. Uh, but whatever it was, something about Jesus ignited his curiosity so much that he chased after him, he knelt, and he called him rabbi. And then he asked this question. I love this question. Good teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love how Jesus answers him. It's how Jesus answers so many questions. He answers the man in his own language. Sometimes Jesus says things that um, I think sometimes we read them and they come across as confusing or sarcastic, but um, I, don't, I really do not think there is one sarcastic bone in Jesus's body. I think sometimes we misunderstand him because we forget to look at who he's talking to. Jesus, he speaks to the ruler in his own language. He speaks to him in the language of the law, the words he knew best. Jesus, he said, uh, you follow these six commandments. I don't know why he just picked six of the 10 commandments. Maybe, maybe the guy cuts him off before he can finish reading them all and says, yeah, 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 I follow these my whole life. I've done all of these my whole life. Yeah, I know what the law has to say about it. I'm asking what you have to say about it. I know that feeling or what I think this guy is feeling in this moment, the feeling of working so hard uh, and so long for something that you thought would make you whole. And then you wake up one day and you realize you're still unsatisfied, that you're still longing for more, wondering if there has to be more to life. I don't think it's an empty boast from this guy when he says he's done all of these things since he was young. I, I think he means it. I think he spent his life trying to uphold the laws in hopes that they would save him. Uh, here's the best modern day equivalent that I can think of. It's not a perfect example by any means, but uh, just kind of bringing it into today. The ruler's response would sort of be like um, us saying, yes, I walked an aisle as a kid or I stood up at youth group or youth camp or I signed and then I signed the True Love Waits pledge and I volunteer and I tithe and I don't drink or cuss or chew or hang out with girls who do. Um, this, this, to me, this isn't an empty boast. To me, it's this man looking at Jesus saying, I've done everything. I, and I am doing everything that religion has told me to do. I'm doing everything I can find on every checklist, but there's got to be something more. And then Mark tells us, Jesus responds, and Mark tells us, and oh, I, I love this. In verse 21, it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He looks at him and he loves him. 
When you go back to the original language here, this idea is, is that Jesus is moved by love for him. It's a, a motivated love, a, an emotional love, a compassionate love. The relentless tenderness of Jesus on display for the children. The story ahead is now staring this man in the eyeballs. And then Jesus, he stops speaking law and he starts speaking kingdom. He says, yes, you've done those things, but you haven't done this thing. You haven't let go of the power. Those things that you did, they, they built your power. You did them on a path of power and knowledge, but you kind of missed the point. The point of these things wasn't power. It wasn't privilege. It wasn't position. The whole point of them was to give you the freedom to let go of the power and the position and, and the privilege. Essentially, he's saying you've checked all of the boxes, but you kind of missed the point of them. After the horrible things that happened at the Capitol building on January 6th, um, I was listening to my favorite preacher who's currently preaching in the world, uh, Adam Russell, and he offered his church uh, and me via a podcast um, this thought that was really, really helpful to me. He said that when we watch the scary events unfolding, uh, when we were watching the videos and the pictures of people uh, storming the Capitol, we were watching videos and pictures of people who had missed the plot. There are lots of haunting pictures and videos from the things that happened that day, but there is this one image that I feel like is burned in me. Um, that day, someone built and brought a set of gallows and put them out in front of the Capitol building, a noose. And there's this image of that, and then all around nearby are flags that say Jesus. Jesus saves, Jesus rescue, Jesus. And for the first time in my lifetime, maybe not all of you, some of you, unfortunately, it wasn't the first time in your lifetime, but for me, for the first time in my lifetime, I saw the cross and the gallows share a frame. My children saw a cross and gallows share a frame. The world full of broken and busted and hurting people saw Jesus saves and gallows sharing a frame. And I thought, dear God, God, we've lost the plot. Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus, speaking the language of the kingdom of God, answers the man's questions with an invitation. An invitation to expand the view of this rich young ruler who had a way he had always done things, his way of always doing things. There's a psalm um, I've been thinking about a lot lately. Psalm 33, it says this in verse 16. It says, the best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horses to give you victory for all its strength that cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. Jesus, in answering the ruler, is saying, I want to offer you something that has nothing to do with the size of your army or your horse, nothing to do with your power or position, nothing to do with the size of your bank account or social calendar, nothing to do with the things that you think belong to you. I'm inviting you to give your life to the hope of unfailing love. That's the plot. 
What's the plot? That's the plot. Colossians 1, in, in Jesus on the cross, the gallows of his day, God has reconciled everything to himself, made peace with everything on earth and in heaven, including you. He has made peace with you, reconciled you to himself, brought you into his presence as holy and blameless without a single fault. The plot is that by no trying or performing or anything that we could do on our own, the father has looked at us, like we talked about a few weeks ago, looked at us with the same words he said to the son, my daughter, my son, the object of my great delight, you are dearly loved. It is a plot of power through peace of the reconciliation and the renewal of all things. The invitation of Jesus to this man is an invitation to live his life in a way that when his things fail and our things will fail, they will break, they will disappoint, they will fall in big ways and small. Bitcoin won't be banging forever. You might sell it at the wrong time. Your stuff will break and it will age and it will betray you. But the invitation of Jesus is to live a life so that when our stuff fails us, there is still greater stuff to be found. To live a life as if there is fullness and free, freedom in plenty and in want, as if our stuff doesn't get to decide our purpose. For the ruler, possessions and power are where he found purpose. And maybe that's true for you, or maybe it's something completely different. The capital was stormed by people whose hope was found in one particular political outcome. Maybe that's where you are, and that happens on both sides of the aisles, people. <laughs> we place our hope in all kinds of places, in power and privilege and position and politics and power and also things that don't start with P. All of us do. We all do. It's the air that we breathe. And so if you hear this sermon and you hear, yes, lots of people do that. They care more about their stuff or, or more about these things than what really matters. And you aren't hearing the sermon because we aren't Jesus in the story as much as I wish we were. We are the rich young ruler. We aren't the peaceful protesters. We are all in our own way, the insurrectionists that are storming the Capitol. And it takes courage to see ourselves honestly. But courage also looks like running to Jesus and kneeling before the rabbi's feet and asking him to show us what it is for us. What is keeping us less free? What is lying to us about our purpose? What is luring us with a love that cannot last? And believing looks a lot like hearing the invitation to give your life over and over and over and over again to the hope of unfailing love. Believing looks like trusting Jesus will show you what it is where the places in your life where you are trusting armies and horses when you were made to trust something far wilder and more free, where you're trusting in your own strength when you were made to trust in the hope of unfailing love, the, the hope of relentless love. And believing looks like knowing that Jesus will show you that he uh, won't shame you, he'll show you, and that he will do for you what he's always doing, which is make you more free. That's what he's always doing offering us chances to be more free within his kingdom. So uh, for Selah today, I'm just going to read that psalm uh, again. And, and, and I just, my hope is that in the quiet, you'll ask that question. What is it? What is it for me? What, what is it? What am I trusting in that isn't the hope of unfailing love? 
uh, and I might, I'm going to read it through um, more than once, this psalm, because for me it, it, it takes a couple of times. I don't always get it the first time around. My first instinct, if I'm honest, is to do exactly what the rich young ruler did uh, at the end of the story. My instinct is to walk away because I believe so very much in my own way. So let's take a minute and read the psalm. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory for all its strength that cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. The best equipped army cannot save a king. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. The Lord watches over those who fear him those who rely on his unfailing love. I read something about Dorothy Day that I haven't been able to quit thinking about. Um, she said that uh, she wanted to live her life as if the truth was true. And no king, will, no king is saved by the size of his army. No man is saved by the size of his possession. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On, the eyes of the Lord are on those who hope in his unfailing love. What if we live like that was true? What if we live like that truth was true? Let's pray. Father, I ask you to fill us with the courage to look inside ourselves, to fill us with um the belief and faith in you uh, that as you expose the places that we are clinging uh, to the things that won't save us, that we would believe so much in you, that we would have so much faith in you, that we would know that you expose these things not to shame us, but to set us free. And so we ask for the courage to look, and we ask for the courage to run to you and ask the question, what do I need to do to be more free? What do I need to do to live out my purpose in the kingdom of God? In your name we pray.